So water can be wonderful or it can be terrifying. How many of you are water people here that like to be on the water or near the water? Some people love to be in the water. Uh, Some people like to be by the water. And then there's other people who just like to boil water. But water is a significant part of our lives. We use it on a daily basis. But when you see a big body of water, like an ocean, it can be mesmerizing, whether you're in the water and riding the waves or if you're sitting on a pier. One of the things that you'll notice on a big body of water, whether it's Lake Erie or the ocean, is there is a certain rhythm to the water, isn't there? And I think that's what's hypnotizing about it. It has a rhythm and there's one wave after another. Some of those waves can be big and imposing. Some of them can be quite small and even serene. Sometimes they end in a very quieting way upon the sands of the seashore, or sometimes very powerfully against a break wall. Now, while a surfer might like to ride a wave all day, he or she knows that every wave breaks at some point. After the crescendo, it flattens out, and it eventually dies upon the shore. Every wave breaks. That's a picture that I took up at Osborne Park a couple of years ago against the break wall. On that particular day, the sun was just in the right spot where the water was splashing up, and so it made for a nice effect. One of the things that we find is that in the course of life, um, we all ride waves as we grow older, don't we? Sometimes it happens in the seasons of our lives, we transition from one season to another. If we are parents, obviously, the wave begins to break as our children get older and leave home and start a life of their own. If we're an employee, uh, that wave comes to an end when we decide to retire and let our career go. Here's my point. My point is that every wave eventually breaks. And so it is true in this study we've been in. We've been talking about a day in the life of Philip. And we were introduced to this man in Acts chapter uh, 6, where there was a problem that was going on in the early church, and he was a man of character that was trying to get two groups of people to come back together. And then he reemerges in Acts chapter 8, In that particular chapter, we're told about his life as he moves out from Jerusalem because persecution was taking place. He goes up north to an area called Samaria, and it is there that he's doing some very significant ministry. He's healing people, he's praying for them, and then all of a sudden, God taps him on the shoulder to go to a wilderness road and meet a man, an Ethiopian eunuch. And it is there, they sit together in a chariot, and as they converse over who the passage is talking about, Philip tells the Ethiopian eunuch that it ultimately applies to Jesus. And then, all of a sudden, 
After we've learned in the day of the life of Philip that everything is spiritual, every person matters, and every moment counts, we learn that every wave breaks as well. Because here's how the text ends the life of Philip in the book of Acts. Let me read it for you. Only a couple of verses. One of them is in Acts 8 and the other is in Acts 21. So in Acts chapter 8, verses 39 and 40, it says, When they came up out of the water, the baptism of the Ethiopian eunuch, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So here's a map for you here. You can see Azotus is close to the Mediterranean Sea on the coast, and he spends some time there, and as he spends some time there, he is then prompted to go to Caesarea. And so that's farther up the coast, uh, and you can see on the left-hand side there against the Mediterranean Sea. And what we're told is that when he comes to this city called Caesarea, he stays there. And this is what we're told in Acts 21, verses 8 and 9. The next day we left and we came to Caesarea and we went into the house of Philip the Evangelist. So this is Peter talking about when, uh, Paul rather, when he talked about him coming to Caesarea and they come to the house of Philip the Evangelist and he is one of the seven, that's what we were told back when he is chosen to resolve the dispute in the earlier chapters of Acts. And then it says this, and this is now how the wave breaks on Philip's life. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. And boom, we don't hear anything more about Philip. It's the end. So what we're told is he goes to this town called Azotus. He stays there for a while. He continues to minister, and then he moves up to Caesarea, and he has four unmarried daughters. And that's the end. The wave of information about Philip suddenly breaks right at that moment. But here's the point. We're told about the four unmarried daughters having a gift of prophecy. Interesting. They continue the ministry that Philip started. And we are told that they will continue his legacy because I believe that the last thing Philip and his wife did was prepare their daughters to carry the good news beyond their own lifetime. Think about this for a moment. There comes a time when every wave breaks in our own personal life, and what we do is we entrust what we have done in our life into the hands of other people. And in this case, it's the four daughters. So here's what I want to do for a few moments. I want to come back here to this passage of Scripture, and I want us to think for a moment about these two passages of Scripture. The first one causes us to double back and think about the Ethiopian eunuch again for a moment. So can you imagine you come up out of the waters of baptism, you have a whole new kind of life ahead of you, you're ready to take that message of Jesus back to your own homeland, and then you look around, and where's Philip? 
He's gone. He is nowhere to be found, so the Ethiopian eunuch gets back into his chariot, and he begins to uh, go home. And as he gets home, what's fascinating about his life is he begins to be the mouthpiece for the kingdom of God. He begins to share the good news. Here is a message that he is sharing, that the kingdom of God is not confined to Jews, not confined to Jerusalem or the surrounding territory. This is a wonderful global message of liberation for the whole of humanity when we find Jesus Christ. So here is an individual that came to Jerusalem because his thoughts were this God of the Jewish people is confined, obviously, to that territory around Jerusalem and the temple. But as he leaves, he sees that the good news is not confined to that territory, but it heads to the ends of the earth. Here is an individual that takes his life and takes his story, and there's a new wave that begins. This new wave of telling about the realm and the reality of Jesus and his kind of kingdom. The book of Acts is the story of a movement. It is something in motion, something in progress. And it's the kingdom of God and the eunuch is caught up in something that is expanding and stretching and moving into new territories. And so the book of Acts tells us here that this Ethiopian eunuch was a critical part of carrying good news to the continent of Africa. You know, Africa's first experience of Christianity was not at the hands of European colonialists or even missionaries. It came about from this one who was part of the native land of Ethiopia and carries that message back. And what we find is the Ethiopian church begins to grow because of what he did. Every wave breaks. Philip's time was done, but the Ethiopian's time was just beginning. And although we don't have much other information about this one named Simeon Bacchus by the early church father Irenaeus, what we do know is that he carries on what he has been given to do. So here's the point this morning. Your life and my life is like a wave. We go through seasons of life that lead to another season. And none of them are meant to last forever, even if we wish they could. We ride the wave that God has placed us on until it breaks. And when it breaks, we might grieve for a while. But what we find is there's another wave that is coming. There's another season that is coming. As waves crash in some places, it ebbs and flows softly in others. Yes, life has crashing waves that we have to learn how to ride. Life has tranquil moments as soft as the still ocean. The swirling ocean breeze offers elegant aromas at times, and sometimes it's a sunset that reflects the light of the ocean. But the toughest part of all that is after one wave breaks, the toughest part is waiting 
for the next one. Here's where the analogy breaks down. When you're standing on the beach and you're watching the ocean, it's one wave after another, right? You don't have to wait very long for the next wave to come along. But in real life, sometimes there's a waiting period in between. There is a gap between those waves, and we often wonder what God is going to do next. There might be this break that requires patience on our part. And I think all of us know patience is very difficult, isn't it? It's sometimes very tough to be patient. But I want you to know that there's something about the early church that I think they rode out the Roman Empire. They rode out this oppressive empire that put people in their place. There's a book that was written by Dr. Alan Kreider that's entitled The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And the subtitle is The Improbable Rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire. It's a very academic book. I wouldn't recommend you go out and find it and read it. It, it would take some time for you to work through it. But I have pulled a quote out that I think is important. I quote, he says, The growth of the Christian church in the Roman Empire is mysterious, Scholars who spend their entire lives studying this phenomenon continue to find it surprising. Why did this minor mystery religion from the Eastern Mediterranean, marginal, despised, discriminated against, why did they grow substantially and eventually supplanting the well-endowed, respectable cults that were supported by the empire and the aristocracy? What enabled Christianity to be so successful that by the 5th century, it was the established religion of the empire? What was it? The patience of the early church. The patient ferment of the early church. Patience was the biggest reason that the church endured. Close behind it was the high character of the individuals and the invisible power of God working in the hearts of those people. So what is it that they waited on? Well, sometimes they had to wait for equality. They insisted absolutely on the equality of all people. Roman society was very stratified, and you found your place and your niche in the caste system there. But in this new movement, in this new humanity, there's this new way of organizing the world where rich and poor meet together in equality. And these new communities worked hard to care for each other, especially their own, but they moved beyond their own to share their resources. Women were elevated and valued more in the church than any other place in Roman society. Slaves were on equal footing with senators in the house churches. Racism was no longer tolerated. As it says in Galatians, there was no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Secondly, they believed that the very essence of God was love. As 1 John says, God is love. And what we find is they followed this nonviolent, self-denying model that Jesus put forth this nonviolent self-denial was the way that they reacted even when people harmed them or threatened them. And the third thing that they understood is God transforms the world slowly. 
We want things to change like this. But the early church believed that God was patient too, and that Jesus, the Son of God, modeled that type of patience. And so they believed that God was at work, slowly and patiently transforming the world, and that they were to be called patiently to allow that work to accomplish what it is to accomplish. In other words, they had to allow for the next wave. The church of Jesus Christ often sits between the waves of what God is doing in the world. We live in a much different world today than the early church, and many waves have come and gone over the centuries. But it's the Ethiopian eunuch, and secondly, it's four unmarried daughters who have this gift and this passion and this calling to share that we look to. You're a part of those individuals that have been given this calling to patience, to do your part wherever that is, and to wait upon God to break through whatever is resisting that. Philip breaks open a whole new world through the eunuch and through his daughters, and good news breaks into new territory. I think mindful spirituality is the ability to live in the fullness of the moment, realizing that every wave breaks eventually, and then it's learning to let go of that wave and to climb aboard the new wave of the Spirit whenever that might come along. We said at the very beginning of our service today, Isaiah 43, verse 19, Behold, I am doing a new thing, for I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. God is always up to something new. It's up to us to perceive it. The source of our hope is the resurrected Christ that we will be dwelling on in the days ahead. There is a humility to live in the moment. And there is the ability to wait, understanding that we cannot fully understand what God is up to all the time. So there is a quote here. This is an Eastern Orthodox individual, uh, as you can tell by his name, Kalistas Ware. I like this quote. He says, It is not the task of Christianity to provide easy answers to every question, but to make us progressively aware of a mystery. God is not so much the object of our knowledge as the cause of our wonder. End quote. And I think when we think about this metaphor we've been using today, when we look upon the waves that come and go, we often cannot figure out, I'm sure there's people smart enough to be able to figure it out, but I know I'm not smart enough to figure it out, why one wave is higher than the other, why some seem to be powerful and break strong against the break walls, and why others are so serene. I know it relates to the moon and other things, but I am just caught up in a mystery. And as I sit on the pier and I look over a big body of water, I just have to take it in and appreciate whatever is being reflected upon at the moment. I think that's important in life, don't you? To patiently reflect upon whatever wave we are riding, whatever season we're in, and ask God, what is the next thing you expect me to do. And that takes patience, it takes prayer, it takes perception at times to reflect upon that. 
So I want you to remember as we close here today that Jesus is the wave walker, that he is the one that invites us out upon the water. And you remember the story of Peter in the midst of the storm, a fisherman. When the storm comes in, his life is threatened and all the disciples are afraid and he spots someone walking on the water and Jesus bids him to step out of the boat and onto the water. And at, at that moment, he begins to see that Jesus is in full control of the chaos. He begins to walk to Jesus, but the waves that are crashing against him as he walks toward Jesus causes him to doubt. And he begins to sink, and who is there to catch him but Jesus? And he reminds us that he is there to catch us even when in our frailty and imperfection we have trouble waiting upon God's movement for the next thing. So I encourage you as the waves of life, whether they are international or personal, come against you to learn to live into it, to learn from it, and most of all, to love better because of it. So I would invite you to stand with me, and I'm going to close with another little video. It's only about 20 seconds long. These are part of some of the pictures I have taken at different places, uh, and I just want us to reflect upon the beauty of the water as we are reminded that every wave breaks. Watch. you join me in prayer, please? Thank you, Lord God, for today, for the opportunity to gather and to, to put a cap on the life of Philip. We're thankful for these little portraits that we find in your word that we can relate to, or sometimes we have a hard time relating to, yet they are there to inspire us, sometimes to convict us, sometimes to challenge us, sometimes to educate us. But we're asking, Lord God, that what we have looked at in this small little portrait of the life of Philip will encourage us to remember that everything is spiritual and that every person counts and that every moment matters, but also to remind ourselves that every wave breaks at some point. And so we, like the early church, have this patient ferment that allows us to expect you to move again, and when you do, to be a part of it. So give us faith to step forward like Peter did, and help us to have the security of knowing that you are the wave tamer and the water walker, and you are the one that holds us by your mighty arm. Guide us today and through this week, I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks so much, everybody. I hope you have a great week.